0: It's the On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: From Labradoodles to Cronuts, the world loves a hybrid. So today, businesses
2: are taking a smarter hybrid cloud approach using the tools, platform, and expertise of IBM. The world is going hybrid with IBM. Visit ibm.com slash hybrid cloud. Hello Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. If you're getting into your car and going to work, remember to tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Bengals. And Joe and I will, as always, keep you company on your drive into work or drive home for work or your lunch break or whatever it is. It's just a really easy way to listen to the podcast. You don't have to look anything up. Your device should be able to do it. Uh, Today... We're going to talk about offensive linemen on the Cincinnati Bengals roster, the outlook for that position in free agency. There's not really much Bengals news happening today. On Twitter, I saw that Zach Taylor is at UC for the pro day. Antonio Brown is reportedly going to be traded by Friday. Not much to add to either of those things. We've talked about being glad Antonio Brown's out of the division. Yesterday, there was a lot of hype on Brown's Twitter about Something. Uh, It turns out that that might have been a red herring. There was initially some fear in my heart that Odell Beckham was going to be a Brown. No real legs to that rumor at this point. So let's get right into the offensive line. And the offensive line is obviously a unit that struggled in 2018. It's a unit where we would like to see, in addition, especially at tackle in free agency. But looking at what's out there, it isn't very promising, especially the way the Bengals operate, skipping out on week one free agents.
1: Yeah, and if you don't get one of those top guys, and even the top guys, whether that be uh, Daryl Williams from the Panthers... Uh, Trent Brown uh, from the Patriots, Juwan James from the Dolphins, you got to think those guys are getting at least nine million to upwards. If we look at Donovan Smith, who just signed an extension with the Bucks, getting nearly fourteen million a year as a left tackle, you have to think those guys are going to be in that range of nine to fourteen million dollars. And if that's the case, that that just seems completely out of the Bengals' um, normal plan. So you end up looking at the best options in free agency are guys comparable to what Bobby Hart gave you mm-hmm. last year. And we'll talk about Bobby Hart, but it just, it doesn't seem feasible to go out there and get a tackle with how the Bengals operate, with how, with how they normally value uh, spending money in free agency. So I think we're definitely looking at the draft to fix this.
2: And it's not like there are high quality free agent tackles on a year to year basis. Those guys are usually retained of course, Andrew Whitworth is a, a case where you can say, oh, the Bengals didn't do it. But he was late into his career at that point in time. So you don't see NFL teams often keeping guys that late into their career. The, the Rams got it right. The Bengals didn't. I don't really want to talk about it. Looking at last year, though, Nate Solder became the highest paid tackle in the NFL. Is that right? At 15 and a half million dollars. And he, I don't think, performed anywhere near what he was being paid.
1: No, but it's the replacement of what they've had at that spot. I mean, they yeah. had to—they cut Eric Flowers, right? I, I believe they didn't—they didn't, they didn't yeah. get anything for him. He went to the uh, Jaguars, I believe. But they had to do that to go from being bottom of the barrel at left tackle to being serviceable, sure. and they paid for it. But that's the situation the Bengals are in, and. Yep. You know, the Bengals basically gave up a second-round pick for Cordy Glenn last year for a, in a similar situation, so they paid for it also. And, you know, that is that is the role. That's why you can't let left tackles that are still playing
2: well walk out of the door. Yeah, and and don't give me the excuse that I've already gotten on Twitter that they thought Cedric he might be the answer. Looking back two years, 2017, Riley Reif, Russell Okung, Ricky Wagner, Andrew Whitworth, this was a year that tackles moved around the NFL Kelvin Beecham uh, Mendelik Watson signed a big contract. Mike Remmer signed a big contract. Matt Khalil signed a big contract. I'm not saying these were all good good contracts, but two years ago there was a lot of tackle movement in the NFL. We haven't seen that as much Last year we won't see it this year.
1: There's a few of those guys that sound good right now, so oh,
2: uh, you're right i I didn't I never considered that how many tackles uh swap teams that year. It was a very movement year, movement-heavy year, like we'll see at safety. Man, it's too bad we already talked about the safeties because the safeties in this free agency class are abundant.
1: Yeah, you'd have to know what, what to do or if how Sean Williams feels about playing more linebacker because there's a few safeties I would be interested in, especially at their age and price. It should, mm-hmm. should come a little bit cheaper. And if that's the case, man, you could,
2: you could fill a linebacker spot with Sean Williams. But anytime we talk about guys in free agency being cheaper than expected, I think we're probably going to be surprised because free agency tends to really inflate the value of a lot of players. Every now and then you yeah. see a deal and you think, "That oh, was a good deal. But a lot of times you see $15.5 million going to Nate Solder.
1: Yeah, and then the two guys I think for offensive line free agency that we should be aware of is Jonathan Sullivan and Roger Saffold of the Rams. Sullivan hasn't been good. He's at the end of his career. Last year he he had a down year, his worst year, I believe, as, in his career. I want to say he's 34, 35, maybe 34 and a half. It doesn't matter. Anyway, and Roger Saffold, I just think he's going to get paid too much. And we saw the way the Bengals uh, treated Kevin Zeitler as a free agent. I don't expect them to drop a load of guaranteed money on a guard. It's just not going to happen. So I think as we look at the free agent class and the needs on this offensive line, we end
2: up going directly to the draft. So let's talk about the money because I know Bengals fans want to understand how much money could they spend in free agency. So in 2018, the Bengals spent $26.7 million on the offensive line. That was 12th lease in the NFL in 2018 and is roughly the same number that they spent in 2016, which was the last time the Bengals had a decent offensive line before Andrew Whitworth left. They spent $27 million on the position that year with Andrew Whitworth making only $8 million just to give you an idea of how good that deal was. It was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah it was and adjusting for the expanded cap which is roughly I think 20% higher for the Bengals specifically this year than it was in 2016 that equals $32 million 2019 in terms of cap space. So in 2018, their starting offensive line was worth about $20 million against the cap. Cedric he and Jake Fisher were most of the rest of that money, accounting for $4.35 million against the cap, and neither of them really played. he uh, you can you know, write in pen at this point. He's not coming back. Jake Fisher is going to go be a tight end for somebody. Other significant cap responsibilities were Cordy Glenn, Clint Bowling, and Billy Price, who together account for seventeen point six million dollars against the cap, and that is two thousand nineteen money. Christian Westerman brings that total to eighteen point three million against the cap in two thousand nineteen. If they bring back uh, Hopkins on an original round restricted free agent tender and Alex Redmond on an original round free agent tender, that's another four million dollars, and that gets you to twenty two point three. And then if you add Hart in as another backup if they say if they look at the free agent tackles and they think well we're not playing in the darrell williams sandbox we're not going to shell out 10 million dollars for a tackle in free agency then and, and Hart comes back then it gets you up to 24 million give or take in terms of 2019 obligations that they can't just get out of they're not practice squad guys end of the roster guys with no dead cap hit so if they get to that number and we're talking about 32 million to be the inflation-adjusted spending target, then that leaves $8 million, if they go a little bit over, $10 million to spend on a free agent tackle in 2019.
1: And that could potentially get you a starter. I think if this class was a little bit deeper in tackles, you could uh, definitely get there. I think if you said, well we're not going to tender or we're not going to retain Bobby Hart. Maybe that gives you a little bit more flexibility. If you said the same with Alex Redmond, that gives you a little bit more flexibility again. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can go and afford a Juwan James or a Darrell Williams. Uh, I don't feel they would be that aggressive, but what this point is here is that they could if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Uh, They definitely could. And would still be within good shape of spending on the offensive line if they went and signed a top free agent tackle.
2: And, and I think that's a good point. If you think that they feel good about Christian Westerman and Trey Hopkins and your core internal offensive line guys can be Clint Bowling, Trey Hopkins, Billy Price, and Christian Westerman. Right. And then you can let Redmond go and save $2 million there. And then you know you need a new tackle anyway. So maybe you say, well, you know what? Bobby Hart's fine as a, as a swing tackle, backup tackle, but if he won't take another $1 million deal – we're just going to draft a guy, and and deal with it at the back end of the roster. You could draft two mid-round guys, basically a sure.
1: backup inside, interior guy, backup with eleven picks and a backup swing tackle type in the third. Max Sharping in the third, fourth round, mm-hmm. um, and then we've we've discussed interior O line uh, prospects. Let's it, say it's Elton Jenkins in the third round, right? It. That provides you backup at all three positions, potential starter when Clint Bowling or Billy Price has to move, whatever it is. We've talked about these guys every mock draft Monday. Uh, so it could make sense if they wanted to go that route and pay those, pay a tackle and kind of get some of the dead weight off in, in terms of Redmond and Hart. Uh, so for me, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it could be done. I just don't think it will be done.
2: <laughs> yeah, so we'll talk about the potential directions they could go. Let's, Don't
1: forget also Rod Taylor. They drafted yeah. him in the 7th round. Is, is play tackle is a guard. Now he's a 7th round pick. You may not expect anything from them, but we're talking about a few undrafted guys here that they could value. So Rod, Rod Taylor could eventually end up being a, a primary backup right guard type guy.
2: Yeah. And, and let's talk about the rest of the tackles that are on the roster for the Bengals right now, starting with Cordy Glenn. Tell me, Joe, your general opinions on his first year in Cincinnati. I think... Compared to his peak in Buffalo, his three health years in Buffalo, not as good. But what well, did you see just from a tape perspective before we talk yeah. about grades and numbers?
1: Yeah, and Cordy Glenn, that's the thing as you mentioned the health, and that's always been the case with him. Uh, He's got kind of the Tyler Eifer in him where when he's healthy, man, he's a a good player. When he's dealing with anything, whether that's a foot or an ankle, which he dealt with a lot in Buffalo, shoulder, back, he's had. uh, Whenever you're dealing with those, he instantly turns from a solid, good starter to this guy can be a liability. And the thing is, he will try and play through them. He'll just affect your team negatively. I can think of a few games last year and it started, I think, week three or four where he started to get a little banged up. And the Panthers game, he gives up, like, seven pressures, and all of a sudden, uh, everyone's like, well, you know, this isn't worth it at all. Well, he's better than Cedric Oboee, but the point is you want to be much more than Cedric Oboee. You want to be much better than that. So I think as a as a unit, the entire team could have run blocked much better, and I think Cordy Glenn can still be much better uh, at doing that. Uh, As a pass protector, he needs to be healthy in order to be good. If he's banged up a little bit, he's not very good. And he's not very dependable because of it, because you should expect him to miss a handful of games each year. So at 10, 10, was it 10.7 as his cap hit? 9.2. 9.2, I'm sorry. Uh, He is okay value uh, for what you get when he's healthy. It's the other portion that really starts to drag him down. But it's not a lot of guaranteed money. They're not paying him a lot of cash. So I think it works for the Bengals.
2: Yeah. And so you look and it's 9.25 and that's roughly inflation adjusted what they were paying Andrew Whitworth in his last year. They're definitely not getting Andrew Whitworth level production. He did have a shoulder injury in the preseason. So he was dealing with with injuries all year. He had shoulder stuff in the preseason week three, and then he had a back injury later in the year, which was a chronic thing, I think for the rest of the year. So he was an average left tackle, I'd say, last year, which is certainly better than they had had since Andrew Whitworth left. So it's an improvement. He's definitely better than Bobby Hart, although we'll get into some numbers there that might make you question that in a second, and we'll explain why those numbers don't tell the whole story. He will be 30 in 2019. Yeah. And you don't, for those of you out there that have turned 30, you don't you know stay healthier the older you get. No, you know. Uh So so it makes me wonder if he can get back to that Buffalo peak. He probably can't. But if he does stay healthy, he'll he'll be better than he was. If he stays relatively healthy, I guess I should say, he'll be better than he was in 2018, I think. Uh, looking at numbers, in 2018, he gave up 36 pressures on 500 pass blocking snaps, which is 7% of the time. In his defense, that's a high number. In his defense, though, only two of those turned into sacks. In his best years in Buffalo, he gave up a combined 87 pressures and 1,900 pass blocking snaps, which is 4.5 percent of the time, which is a very different number in terms of uh, percentage of getting beaten. What did he have issues with, Joe? I want to say he had issues with speed for the most part. Was Yeah, it- he was. He it was speed. You could see how he was slowed down, but he had some issues with
1: with power too. It was it was all over because. Uh, it I want to say the Panthers game was more power, and then the Falcons game was more speed. So mm-hmm. it really it, it depended on the player. When when you're dealing with a shoulder injury, a defensive linemen attack that shoulder, yeah. and and when you're dealing with a back injury, there goes your strength completely. Yeah. And when you're dealing with ankle or foot, which is what he always dealt with in Buffalo, there's there saps your agility and speed. So yeah, uh, he can be susceptible to any of those. And that's this sounds terrible, right? But <laughs> when he's healthy, he's a big long. Uh, And for his size, decently athletic guy, uh, it's just that um, too much of the offensive line and offense in
2: general was subpar after those first four or five weeks. Mm -hmm. So before we talk about the other tackle, Bobby Hart, Cordy Glenn outlook for 2019 is going to be highly conditional upon his health. If he's healthy, then you feel good about left tackle. If he's dealing with injuries, if he's banged up, then I mean, he's still better than what they had post-Whitworth, pre, pre, pre-Glenn. But there's no backup on the roster that you're going to say, yep, left tackle is going to be fine. So you really are kind of depending on his health. And the one thing I'll add is we looked at this when we are looking at Andy Dalton
1: numbers. And obviously Andy Dalton gets the ball out quickly uh, when the offense is on time. He doesn't get pressured or sacked often. So we're looking at his numbers also for under center and play action for a Zach Taylor Rams type offense. And he would get pressured less sacked less often out of the, uh, uh, in that type of offense. So that would help the numbers for a guy like Cordy Glenn.
2: Yeah. And what would it do for Bobby Hart? Bobby Hart, I think for Bengals fans that watched him last year is probably not a starting tackle in the NFL. He's only paid a million dollars. Last He was a bargain. To be honest, he, he was very good value for a million dollars. He was below average for a right tackle, but and, and he had some very untimely bad plays. But on the whole, $1 million is probably a lot less than Bobby Hart should be worth. Question he was, the, highest, he,
1: he was the, the lowest paid of the four tackles on the roster. So when you think of that and... Mm-hmm. The bang for buck, he wasn't bad, but the problem is you want to be better than that. When you have Andy Dalton, you would like to be better at tackle, and especially right tackle because you know it's, they have left tackle secured right now. But so when we look at it, you can't just be ah, he was okay. Because at his best, he was okay. Really, the issue was coming into the year, we knew he would not suffice and and fill that position. His level of play, the Giants released him at 23 years old. He had character questions. Uh, He's 24 now. I mean, honestly, there still may be some upside in Bobby Hart. If I was another team, I'd love to sign him as a swing tackle. I'd love to keep him in, in Cincinnati as as the backup swing tackle because of Glenn's health, because of the unknown of what you're going to do at right tackle if that's a draft pick. You would like to have a guy who's had experience behind them, and that would right. be Bobby Hart. I just think there is a there is a chance. Remember the way uh, Marshall Newhouse got paid in, in the offseason that one year? Yep. I, there is a chance another team looks at Bobby Hart at 24 years old, see him start for two teams, and they say, you know what? We'll give you four and a half million dollars a year come be our right tackle. I think that
2: could potentially happen and if it does, the Bengals obviously aren't aren't going to match that kind of money uh if he's a backup though and he takes similar money, then you're in pretty good shape. that's a young guy he played he he wasn't hurt right he he was pretty healthy yeah the the issue that Bengals fans have with Bobby Hart and the issue I have with Bobby Hart is that his mistakes come at the worst times. He gave up pressure on a smaller per snap basis than Cordy Glenn did. Only 39 pressures on 651 snaps, which is two more pressures on 151 more pass blocking snaps. But 10 of those were sacks.
1: Yeah, and that shows the difference between the two players. You can give up pressure on the offensive line. That's going to happen. Uh, let's take it as in there's three phases. We kind of talked about this yesterday a little bit. Uh, three three phases to the to the play. So your initial, you know, kick slide. your in pass protection. The initial hand battle, and then comes the counter move, and you're re, you're repositioning your your body weight in your hands. So that's phase two. Phase and you can lose those first two, and now you're 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 get, you're pressuring the quarterback, and then now. So let's say that happens for Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart. They both have lost the first two phases, or one of the two, and they're now pressuring the quarterback. Winning on the third phase and riding that guy away, allowing the quarterback to step up, or just fighting him off just enough to keep that pass rusher around the arc to, to allow your quarterback to move is the last part of the trait uh, that you would like for your tackle. And Cordy Glenn did that at a much better rate than Bobby Hart did, and that's why a lot of Hart's pressures turned into sacks and you know, honestly, he should have given up less pressures because right tackle typically has the tight end on that side, typically has a worse pass rusher, even though that is changing rapidly. the the You know, just equal pass rushers left and yeah, right that side. Yeah, is still
2: but true? I don't know if not that's still
1: true. Traditionally, they are. I mean, sure. you can end up... You're going to play against Miles Garrett or Emmanuel Ogba if you play against the Browns. Miles Garrett should pressure uh, Cordy Glenn more often than Emmanuel Ogba pressures yeah. Bobby Hart. So, you know, just at general terms... Terrell Suggs should pressure Cordy Glenn more often than Matt Judon should pressure Bobby Hart. So in this division, it happens. And uh, so when I'm saying it, you normally get a tight end on that side. But I think for me, the key point is the third phase where Glenn latches on just at that last second to push the guy around where Bobby Hart's either quickly beaten and allows for a sack or the penalties on third downs and drive-killing penalties.
2: Yeah, talking about drive-killing penalties, we'll talk about the other guy that does this after we take a break and when we get into the interior offensive line, but... There were two guys, and everybody knows who I'm talking about, that had the least timely penalties. I mean, it's never good, but like so many drive-killing penalties. And this was a team that could not really ever afford a holding penalty, a false start penalty. Getting behind the chains was a death sentence uh, 80% of the time for Cincinnati drives, especially later in the season. So, you know, we're talking about what the Bengals are going to do at the tackle position in free agency. I think the best case scenario is probably Daryl Williams if there's an injury discount. And if it's not Daryl Williams, I think the rest of the guys are going to be either out of the price range or they're old backups or both. And Ty Naseki is a name that I've seen some Bengals fans talking about. He's 33, 34, has been a backup, has played well when he's gotten snaps, but we've seen these guys before be fool's golden free agency. And I guess if it's not Bobby Hart as the backup to whoever they draft, we'll see Andre Smith back in Cincinnati again. Although maybe not Marvin Lewis yeah. is gone. Yeah, that's true.
1: But I I think you could see Andre Smith and he is now what? 32 years old. 32. I guess he's got a year or two if he wants to continue to play as a, uh, swing tackle. And he's probably pretty cheap at this point because I'm not sure he has many other opportunities out there. Um, uh, yeah, so I think not only do the Bengals at this point, let's assuming all the free agents are off the table, they need a starting right tackle and a backup swing tackle. So tackle, as we know, is a big need. Yeah.
2: So we'll take a quick break and talk about the interior offensive line and then kind of summarize what we think the offseason approach could look like. So stick through the ad and we'll be right back. This is Ross Jackson from Locked
3: On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car.
0: All the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in two hundred dollars, they'll match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at My Bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music.
3: What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like Jay Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life
1: it's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry it's like you set up to fail and there's so many moments where you can win
3: and the winning is great but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win and so much more who tell the stories about the first hits that took them to the next level changed their life overlooked to being overbooked when I was recording the song I already knew it was gonna be a global hit and I'm not joking my G I really felt it inside of me I was like I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon music. Let's go.
1: Welcome back to the lockdown Bengals podcast. We are going over positional reviews and today is the offensive line segment one. We looked at offensive tackles. Now we're going to go into the interior offensive line, the guards, the centers, the guys who do both. And this is where I think the Bengals could potentially have some flexibility uh, because I, I think Jake and I both, I think everyone likes the backups when we're looking at Trey Hopkins and Christian Westerman. And the ability for those guys to play multiple positions and then looking at Billy Price as a center, although he had a down rookie year or really dealt with injuries and it affected his play, he has versatility to either play center or guard. And so I think the Bengals have options to get much more out of this unit than expected. I don't think there's any help coming from the outside, whether that be... No a free agent signing. I don't think they're gonna spend a high draft pick on one. I mean, I wouldn't be against it if they want to sign or draft a center or guard in round two. I wouldn't be mad at that at all. I think an interior offensive line is very important to the success of of offensive teams. So when I look at it, I think who we have on the roster is that's it. This is they need to figure out with the guys they have, but I do believe there's some potential to be much better with I mean, when you look at Alex Redmond, he's 24 years old. He could potentially get better. Christian Westerman, 26 years old. I want to see more snaps. We want to see more. He's had 180 snaps through three years, but when he's played, he's played well. And then Trey Hopkins, I thought he had his best career year last year. Uh, basically started guard two years ago. Last year, played both the bulk of his snaps at center. I think he's done okay at both spots and had some really good games in there. He's a valuable off-the-bench guy, if not a borderline starter. So I, they have options.
2: They do. They have a lot of flexibility at the interior offensive line. And it's it's definitely the position of strength comparatively with tackle. Yeah. Just because Christian Westerman is there on the bench, and Alex Redmond is there, and, and Trey Hopkins is there. So you have Clint Bowling at left guard. And he's this you know consummate pro on a bargain of a deal at $5.5 million a year. Yep. His... You know, grading has suffered a little bit as the line around him has crumbled and has gone from you know solid to plus guys around him. He's always been playing next to a, a subpar center, but he was playing next to Andrew Whitworth previously, and that makes his job a little bit easier. But regardless of that, his pass blocking has stayed pretty strong. He, which I think led the Bengals to play him at tackle, where I wouldn't really want to ask Clint Bowling to play for a whole year, but. As a left guard, you can't do much better for that price in the NFL. So the question mark becomes right guard center, and the options there are Billy Price, Trey Hopkins, Christian Westerman, Alex Redmond, which is four guys to fill two spots. And I think they give Billy Price another year at center just because rookies, centers, injuries, like none of those things are ingredients for a successful rookie campaign. Right. So I think Billy Price probably is the first look at center in his second year. But if he struggles initially, maybe, you know, maybe in the preseason they give him some looks at guard too with the second unit. Maybe the second unit is Trey Hopkins center, Billy Price right guard, and they see how that looks and see if that's any better. But, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a Christian Westerman truther, and this is probably a bias that comes from letting Evan Mathis get away in favor of Nate Living's all those years ago. Doesn't this feel like the exact same thing? It it To a lesser degree, I think there was more, we had a bigger book on Mathis, but yes, it does.
1: And that's scary, because uh, Evan terrifying. Mathis was a very, very good player. Remember we did the top draft, and we we're Mathis. thinking, yeah, he, you said he's the best guard they've had, and... There's a lot of merit to that, and I said this last year, that it feels like we're heading down that situation again. I I even said it looks like, based on what we have from preseason to his 180 career snaps to what we expected coming out of Arizona State— Christian Westerman is currently their best guard on the roster, and that's better than Clint Bowling. And I only say that because I and I like Clint Bowling. He's been a fantastic player for them. At one point, he was their fourth best offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. When you think of 2015, Andre Smith having his best year, yep. uh, or was that 2014? Either way, the, he was there for that. And then Kevin Zeitler and, and Andrew Whitworth. But now when Clint Bowling has to be your best offensive lineman, it really magnifies how much worse this unit has gotten. And while he's still probably the same player, Uh, you see as he's getting older uh, some deficiencies in his game when he doesn't have the help around him on either side. So I still like Clint Bowling, and $5.5 million is a steal. But when I look at Westerman and I watch him play, I say, this guy needs to be on the field no matter what. You have to find a way. And when I say no matter what, one of the knocks on him is that some inside the coaching staff believed he was a left guard only. The previous coaching staff. Yes. So if that continues... And you need, and you, and they feel the same way of, of that he's a left guard, and yet we're still saying he's maybe the best guard on the team. You need to get him out there and, and find a way for him before you lose him in free agency, and then you see him starting for the Patriots, right? <laughs> so if if that means you moving Clint Bowling, and that's when I think a lot of the question comes up is yes, he's not a great tackle, uh, he could potentially be better than Bobby Hart at right tackle over a full season. Is that worth the move to move him to right tackle at five and a half million dollars, which would be a steal? and you start with
2: Christian Westerman at left guard. I mean, if Christian Westerman gets to play the whole year and he is the player we think he is, sure, we don't really know as much as a coach as do, although, what we do know is that Christian Westerman is one of the better offensive linemen of the Bengals and he can't get on the field. So, I mean, to me, the conservative approach is draft a tackle, start Jawan Taylor, whoever you want, at right tackle. Keep Cordy Glenn at left tackle. Keep Clint Bowling at left guard. Keep Billy Price at center with Trey Hopkins there as the challenger. And if Trey Hopkins plays better, be ready to play him. And and then get, let the better player, maybe not the better coachable player, but the better player play right guard. Didn't we do Westerman. that?
1: Didn't we do that last year we We're between Trey Hopkins, Alex Redman and Christian Westerman at right guard and yet we still ended up with Alex Redman
2: at right guard? Well, that that's why I said not, maybe not the best coachable player, but the best player. And that's ah, why and that's why I want that's why I want Christian Westerman at right guard. And you know, if if Hopkins is better, that's going to be hard for that's going to be a hard sell because Billy price was a first round pick, but he wasn't this coaching staff's first round pick. So we'll see what happens with Jim Turner and new eyes. I mean, it was new eyes last year, but it was still Marvin Lewis. It was still bill laser. And from what what I was told,
1: some of those decisions of why Redmond was playing and, and so on, some of the other head scratchers were Marvin and not uh, Frank Pollock. So uh, that would make sense, and yeah. like we've—I think we said this on a previous podcast. One of our first that the Bengals valued the type of person Redmond was, and they realized their lack of really power run blocker on this offensive line, and saw Redmond as that guy, and which I would agree he was, and uh, you want that somewhere, and I think that could be Billy Price at right guard too. It could be Billy Price at center also, but they didn't have Price for a large chunk, so it made it harder to take him out of there when you're going to put a, a more athletic, uh, even though Westerman has been a great run blocker, to be honest with you, type-wise and ideally what you, when you think of it, when you're building the, the, your unit, you like to have that right guard be the power blocker. And definitely Marvin Lewis, old school thinking, I could see him leaning that way. So uh, having said that, Redman, let's talk about him, 24 years old, Uh, Really, just that one-year starting experience, besides the two games as a a previous year, I want to say 2017, those final two weeks, him and Westerman split snaps. Uh, Redman, I thought, improved as the season went on. And I thought he had some games that were really, really good, especially as a run blocker. Uh, There was even a couple as a pass blocker where he just gave up nothing, no pressures, no sacks. And that's that's great. Yeah. And so there is some potential in there with him and I like his demeanor, I like his nastiness, I like his workman attitude, all that is good stuff. He's got to cut down on the penalties. I think if you just had somebody that, you know, gave you a handful of penalties in a season, they weren't at inopportune times, uh, his bad plays weren't a- incredibly bad whiffs, you would be okay with Alex Redman as a starting guard in the NFL. The fact is, those penalties were there last year, they were there in the preseason, and I remember tweeting, uh, it, it was it had to be... Early September. How long are you going to let Alex Redmond derail entire drives with his penalties? And
2: and, and it was Alex Redmond, and it was and it was Bobby Hart, and they both. Yep. It was just these. It was just the worst time. It wasn't. It was. I mean, the, there was a lot as well. It's, but like, if the volume is high and they don't kill you, you you don't. It's not as prominent in our minds right now. We're not talking about the penalties as much right now. Well, because the Bengals didn't have an explosive offense either. They were
1: relying on 8-12 to play drives, and when you have one play that's going to set you back to 3rd and 15, they're done. That was it. That's not their offense. They need to become more explosive, push the ball down the field to survive penalties. That's how the good offenses do survive them. But really, the good teams cut down on these penalties or don't allow these guys to continue to play unchecked. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we can hope to change with a new staff is that there's a little more accountability with these players and maybe Alex Redmond can clean him up. If not, he will be benched. The other guy that also had a lot of penalties, more penalties per snap. And the, and the, and you know, cause Billy Price only played 500 and something snaps was Billy Price actually had more penalties per snap than Redmond and Bobby Hart. So the three of them together, It's got to get fixed. You can't go there with the same unit having the same issues they had
2: last year. Yeah, they need to really clean up the pre-snap penalties. And that's everybody on the offensive line, I think. The pre-snap penalties for the entire unit were were pretty rough in 2018. But, I mean, when we talk about the interior offensive line, this is the most nebulous position, I think, on the offense where you don't really know what's going to happen at tackle. I think most Bengals fans expect one to be drafted. And I think I'm with them. I don't think I feel great about Chris. Uh, sorry about moving Clint Bowling to right tackle. Maybe he surprises me there, but I, I don't feel great about that idea. I think he's a very good left guard. I think I would like to keep him there. It also gives him that he, he he's he's you know telling the center when to snap the ball too. Yeah. So and- you need to teach somebody else that you know somebody else you can count on that bit of it as well. And plus, I like the idea of having, at the very least, a stable
1: left tackle, left guard, center combo. Yeah. You know, if I move yeah. Clint Bowling off to right tackle, and Westerman has his ups and downs that the previous coaching staff believed he had, even though it wasn't on tape, uh, and you also have that with Redmond and with with Billy Price in the center, if he continues to have struggles, well, then your your offense is going to be the worse off for it. Yeah, that the entire, entire interior. Right, you can't have that. If the, yeah. if if it's that unstable, that is a bad
2: formula. But there's four guys for two spots on the other two, or sorry, three guys for two spots, I guess. Price, Hopkins, Redmond, Westerman. No, four guys for two spots on the other two interior line positions. And one of them is a first round pick from last year. And I think the Bengals are probably banking on a little bit of a second year leap for Billy Price. Although none of the Bengals Twitter draft Twitter people really love the Billy Price pick. I mean, it was expected, right? If Frank Ragnall was gone, and he was. It was expected. We all knew uh, it was Price next, even though it should have been
1: James Daniels, and I'll, I'll still die on the hill. They, they asked me that night who I would have picked. I said it, it, I would have picked James Daniels out of uh, Iowa, went to the Bears in round two, played left guard for them, had a good rookie year, had a better, graded better pro football focus wise than Frank Ragnall also, mm-hmm. but again... You mentioned it. uh, You alluded to it a little bit. Rookies don't normally play center. They don't. There was only one other guy that last year was Mason Cole. And there was a lot of centers drafted. If they played, they played guard. And if you look at at previous uh, players that, that played or ended up being good centers, it's very rare that they hit the ground running as a rookie center and continue that way. Normally they get their feet wet at guard move into center, and go from there. The Bengals did a disservice. I wrote about this at the end of the year. They allowed Billy Price. I think Billy Price had the lowest grade on PFF of all their five linemen, and they allowed him to be that way, and it didn't have to be that way because they didn't have to play him at center, especially once they figured out Trey Hopkins was serviceable. They could have allowed him to play guard, fix right guard at the same time, allow Price to get his confidence up, have a better year, and have let everyone feel better about him. They were stubborn, allowed him to keep sinking his own rookie year, keep sinking the offense, and because of it, now we're over here doubting whether or not he can play or how good he will be.
2: Yeah, it's a good point about the rookie centers that I want to take a take a look at 2017 real quick here. Yep. In 2017, it was just Pat Elflein really, who played significant snaps. Chase Royer in Washington played half a season worth of snaps. I think he probably came in when somebody got hurt, or maybe he got hurt because he also played half a season in 2018, and I'm not sure what happened. Those guys both graded out mid-60s, which I think is slightly better than average in PFS grading, or maybe, maybe it is just average. Joe, you have rookie numbers for a lot of centers, and, and it's not looking great for Billy Price, although he was hurt. So we'll give that caveat.
1: And what was price, I think, as a PFF grade was a 50 even. I I believe it was in that range. Um, But just looking at... Previous centers, not only the top guys that graded, the top graded guys in 2018 that played center as a rookie, Kelsey, 62, Lindsley, 77, Parody 77, David Andrews, 67. The one comparable is Graham Glasgow, was, was a 54, so he's in that range. Cody Whitehair was an 87. And other first round, second round, third round guys, so premium center picks that played center as a rookie. Uh, Pat Elfline was a 66. Kelly was a 72. Frederick was an 85. Both Pouncy brothers, 68 and 73. And then Alex Mack was an 84. Basically what I'm saying is Billy Price was the lowest graded center to play as a rookie in a long
2: time. And you have to wonder how much of that is a talent around him because and the injury because he was in a dysfunctional offense for much of the year. Uh, but it's it's fair to wonder, you know, was it a reach? Was it because he didn't really have any standout games that you can even point to and say, yeah, he was great in this game. And really, it was the run blocking that that was the struggle, according to Pro Football Focus, for Price.
1: And that's because what you saw is a lot what you saw on tape. Uh, think of the Michigan game where he would latch on. And now this here's Billy Price, short arms, wrestler type. He wants to pull you inside and he wants to fight you to the ground. That's a good trait, except for the short arms. So, when you see him in the NFL, those longer guys were giving him issues. And it's the same thing with, with Russell Bodine with the length. It, you, you, your strength gets sapped when you have short arms and you turn into a, a much weaker player in terms of anchoring and controlling a player at the point of attack you saw that a lot with Billy Price I think when he was climbing to the second level he actually looked pretty good and out in space he looked pretty good which is something I will take over what, what Russell Bodine was given but at the same time he needs to get much better in what they drafted him for and which is being a power run blocker and if he can do that they'll be much better for it. But as of right now, when they're running zone schemes, outside zone, inside zone, Billy Price isn't the guy you want for that. You you wanted a James Daniels for that, but they they liked Billy Price in terms of character, leadership, and all all those good things that got Alex Redman the starting job, uh, and they took a lesser player because of it.
2: Yeah, and so we'll have to see how maybe a different... A different approach to the running game manifests in terms of how the Bengals use their personnel along the offensive line. Maybe that does make them prefer Trey Hopkins at center. Maybe that gives Billy Price a look at right guard. Yep. So there's a lot of questions on the interior offensive line, center right guard specifically. In the offseason, just to recap, I think, they have... At the top end, probably ten million dollars in free agency to play with. If they draft a tackle, that number might go down a little bit because that's how the Bengals tend to work. So if they draft that's, a tackle, right. he'll be do what was it, three point seven million against the cap in yep. twenty nineteen, which will leave them with like six million to spend in free agency. And at that point, Tynaseki is probably your high end signing.
1: Right. So really what we're getting to is um don't expect them to sign someone, and if they do, be pleasantly be pleasantly surprised that they signed a starter. But I do think a swing tackle could definitely be had, whether that's Cameron Fleming, LaDrian Waddle, uh, you know, low end guys that maybe get two and a half to three and a half million dollars a year, and you know, that's your swing tackle. And then yeah. they invest in, in free agency again. Cap wise, they can do a lot of things. Cash and and, and money wise is when we will talk about much more i think on free agency week
2: yeah Yeah. we'll talk about that more free agency week for sure but in in terms of the cap the bengals could do really whatever they wanted in free agency especially if they cut Vontez perfect if they ever were to restructure any player literally ever then they could do more things in, in free agency but they don't have to be flexible with their cap figures because they don't have the cash and so it never really has become an issue every year we look at the bengals as one of the top 10 i think teams in the nfl in terms of cap space and this isn't rollover money like the Browns, where they have like 80 million free dollars this year because they have like 60 million in bonus cap space. This is they're rolling over seven million dollars a year consistently. Yeah. Other teams that are really pushing this year are pushing right up into that cap, knowing that it's going to go up 10, 12 million dollars the next two years as more and more money comes into the NFL. The cap will never be an issue. I just please never buy that company line. This is the way the Bengals operate. This is the reality of it, but they're doing it wrong.
1: Right. They're doing it because that's their choice. It's not that they're strapped for for cap space. It's not because they have to sign next year's free agents. None of that matters. None of that matters. What matters is the guaranteed money, which is cash, and they don't use it. And maybe they can't use it is my question, because why wouldn't you use them if you're actually trying to win? So that's where the cynical part comes out where everyone says, uh, oh, they don't care about winning because they're not putting the money forward. Fine. You could also say they don't know what they're doing and that's why they don't put the money forward. Fine. I I could, I could agree with that too.
2: And we're still paying the price of letting Andrew Whitworth walk. Of course, we talked about this with the cornerbacks and Jonathan Joseph and the, the capital that they're spending outside of money to replace guys that they've let walk. And so you're going to come and you're going to tell me they have Jake Fisher and Cedric Wabehe on the roster, and one of those guys needs to replace Andrew Whitworth. Fine, they missed the draft picks, right? And so because of this, they didn't have a succession plan, and now we're still spending picks on tackles in the early part of the first round. We're still talking about spending money in free agency. The amount of capital they're spending on this position because they missed and because they let Whitworth walk is very, very high. And this is a repeated mistake for the Bengals. Yep. And it's one they have to fix.
1: Honestly, it, and that's why I said someone asked me yesterday, how will we know the tone is different? How will we know this team is going in a new direction? You know, is it during the draft? Is it during, during camp? And for me, it's the first two weeks of free agency. If they sit on their hands and do not participate the way they do. I mean, honestly, you'll hear rumors on 28 teams on that first week. The Bengals will not be one of them if they're the same old Bengals. And... People may take this, you know, defenders of of the team and super fans may say, well, you don't have to spend crazy money. You don't have to go out there and sign these guys. They rarely work. I agree with you. But there are good signings every single year that do work out, and the Bengals aren't part of those, and they haven't been for a long time, and that's where the team consistently falls short. You want to sign guys to alleviate your draft pressure to fill holes and needs, uh, and signing a tackle would do that. Signing a linebacker would do that. And that means you could still draft a tackle and play him at guard for a year. You could still draft a linebacker and make that unit much better. But the point is you want to alleviate the pressure right. to go in and you have to take a Billy Price last year. You had to take Billy Price even though Frank Ragnow wet one pick out of you and the Bengals had a card filled out with Frank Ragnow's name on it. They were going to take him but then a team takes one pick ahead of you. And because you didn't go out and sign a a center, because you didn't secure that position uh, beforehand, because you've allowed uh, Russell Boning to start four straight years, and then you sit out in free agency, because of all those moves, you had to invest the 21st pick, which is premium for centers. That's as high as they go. You had to invest that pick in a guy and play him at that spot when he wasn't ready to do it, obviously. So they made their own bed there, and we continually try to – figure it out when really it's just because they don't participate in free agency
2: it's it's misdraft picks it's not participating in free agency it's not letting guys play that are better than the guys the coaching staff likes it's a it's a cumulative effect of multiple factors under the lewis tobin regime and we'll have to see if they continue and and a good Barometer for that will be their participation in free agency. If they're the same Bengals in free agency, it's hard to say it's hard to sit here and say, okay, here are things they're doing different. And that's what we're looking for. And it's hard to say they'll be much improved without it. You know, we've made the point to how many
1: teams would be in this position they get when we talk about the final four teams or so in, in the playoffs every year they won't be where they're at by signing Brandon LaFell's they they get where they're at because they're signing Andrew Whitworth and and Robert Woods and and Sammy Watkins and and Stefan Gilmore's mm-hmm. and, and you know every team those top teams are doing it the eagles man the year they won it crushed yep. the free agent and veteran uh market they, they 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 that is what got them there and um you know just I'm excited to see if the Bengals do anything in the first two weeks. And then you read the Jeff Hobson article, not to get in that again, but he said don't expect it the first two weeks. But I'm hopeful that we even hear that they're at least interested. Even if they don't sign guys and we hear, hey, they, they want to bring in Darrell Williams or they want to bring in Trent Brown and they don't come to an agreement, I can, I can swallow that and handle that. Uh, but it's the inactivity that bothers me.
2: And I'm tired of complaining about it it's it's Me tired too. it's a tired refrain from the team it's uh, I'm sure the beat writers are tired of here's how the team operates and then getting fans yelling at them it's it's unfair to the players it. it's unfair to the players we
1: we rip apart Alex Redmond and Billy Price for a full year and Bobby Hart, but there's no reason those guys should have been out there starting in those positions that they were. the Bengals did that to them you know it's unfair to them too so uh you know it's a it's uh it's a nasty situation in all when they don't put their best foot forward.
2: So to summarize, need a right tackle. Need to figure out who's starting at right guard and center. Yep. Hopefully Cordy Glenn stays healthy. Hopefully yep. Clint Bowling stays healthy. Hopefully Billy Price takes a leaf as he's getting, gaining exposure to the NFL. And hopefully he has a healthy off season. And hopefully... Christian Westerman gets a chance or improves on whatever plagued him the first three years. Yeah. And and if all those things happen for those four spots, then you only need a right tackle in health, which is the health question you're asking a lot. But then on paper, you only need a right tackle. And if they address that in free agency, then the draft is, you know, it's so open. open. And that's what you, so want. You, you want. Then you can the take that tight end,
1: right? Yes. You can take the tight yes. end. And now you become a completely better offense because of it. Instead right. of just using that pick on a tackle and then taking a tight end in the third, fourth, fifth round, whatever it may be, you become a much better team. Uh, and maybe tight end is – maybe they do it the opposite way because they see the value in signing a tight end and sure. then drafting a tackle. But Great. either way, it, that all of these uh, start with being active in free agency. And I think for offensive line – this year makes the most sense. And that's why we've. I think we've talked so much about free agency, not only just that it's a week away, but uh, to really feel good about this team, I think they're going to have to add a veteran.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Somewhere. on the
1: offensive line. Right. Yeah. Even if it's a... a a good swing tackle that can start because I don't trust Cordy Glenn to stay healthy and I don't trust their decision-making at right tackle. And plus we've looked at this Jake and I off the air, the replacement level for a rookie to an average veteran. If you use something like pro football, focus grades is a downgrade. I mean, there's a chance a a rookie right tackle is going to come in. He's not going to fix the O line in 2019. He's not. He's In fact, he's probably going to give up 50-something pressures in 10 sacks because that's what rookies do. So you should expect that pick not to really make a positive impact towards your team until 2020.
2: So there's your Cincinnati Bengals offensive line roster review and outlook. There are questions here. If the rest of the offense comes together, then the offensive line is a question mark. There's still questions at tight end. We talked about that position already. I think what we have left is quarterback, uh, wide receiver, and running back. So those will be to come. Tomorrow, however, is the weekend mailbag. So if you do hear this, uh, we'll be recording tomorrow night. We'll be recording Thursday night. Ask us anything. Ask us anything. For Joe, I'm Jake. This has been the Locked On Bengals podcast, your daily home for Cincinnati Bengals content. We will see you tomorrow, Bengals fans.
0: Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team.